Greetings, everyone. This is John with that Post Mill podcast and at postmill.com. Uh, we appreciate all the support we're getting. I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for uh, just everything that you have done for us, whether, no, no matter what it's been. We really are humbled by all the support. One thing that we ask is that maybe you could go to iTunes and rate and review us. Maybe, uh, you know, give us, um, you know, five stars or, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Uh, but whatever you th- whatever you truly feel, we we deserve, and leave us a leave us a review, and just let us know how can we improve. Maybe how are, what are some things? Maybe what are some topics you'd like to hear? Some things you'd like us to discuss? You can get a hold of us at uh, I believe uh, at our email that postmill at gmail dot com. But I'm here to talk about re- uh, resurrection. So happy Easter, everyone! Uh, today's Wednesday when I'm recording this, and Sunday was Easter Sunday, and it's a great time. A lot of, we had a lot of new faces in our, in our churches, and uh, it's just really exciting. But the, it's exciting mainly because of what we are celebrating. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is, according to the Apostle Paul in Corinthians 15, the foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, if Christ has not resurrected, Paul says that we are to be pitied, that we are still in our sin. <laughs> um which is which is not good. So the resurrection of Christ is talked about in a lot of different aspects, a lot of different ways. Resurrection is a huge thing in our. We live in a world, uh, a secular humanist world that really uh, is very contradictory in terms of denying anything uh, outside of of a material realm, even though they uh, hold to the immaterial all the time and can't can account for it. That's another discussion. We will be doing a presuppositional apologetics episode here soon. Um, so keep keeping, you know, be on the lookout for that. But anyway, we're going to talk about resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to talk about the first day of a new week. That's what resurrection has done. Resurrection has begun a new week. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we look in John's gospel, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. We are going to do a Bible study. John chapter 20. In John chapter 20 is one of my favorite phrases. Now, on the first day of the week, notice that beginning of verse 1 there. Now, I want to pause and just do a little brief overview and context of what John does in his gospel. John begins, John 1.1, with a very familiar phrase, another phrase that I very much enjoy, and that is, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is very familiar because we, we know that the Bible in Genesis 1-1 begins with that same phrase, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. So John, that's not an accident. John is intentional. John knows the Hebrew scriptures very well as a Hebrew himself. And he is saying, I believe, a couple things by beginning his gospel in this way. One, he is saying he is making a claim about Jesus. And we're going to see this as you read through John's gospel, and we'll see it in John 20. He makes the claim that Jesus is the means through which God is creating a world. A new creation is coming through Jesus. Indeed, John demonstrates in his gospel what Paul says explicitly in Romans 5, that Jesus is a second Adam, that he is in a garden that he's a gardener, he is cultivating, he is this means through which this creation, this new age, this new world is being birthed into this old broken one of sin. Notice 
the second thing that I believe that John is saying regarding, uh, by using that phrase in the beginning, is he's setting up a great expectation basically for his gospel. I don't know of a better way to say that, but he is, he is really creating a narrative need. And here's what I mean. Have you ever been excited about a movie coming out? And this movie, maybe months down the road, you're not going to see it for a while, but until that movie comes out, you're doing, you're on, you're chatting about it online, you're looking at trailers and looking at the makings of, maybe trying to find out little tidbits here and there of different actors that are in it, different things that are involved. Very excited about this movie. And the trailers just give promise that it's going to be one of the greatest spectacles ever on the screen. And then you go to the movie, you get your popcorn, you get your cherry Coke or, uh, maybe blue raspberry icy. I don't know if those are in other places other than Florida. I'm giving you a little insight into my personal life, I know. But you get your, your, the necessary things to sit in that movie. You're excited, you sit down and you watch the film finally after months of waiting and researching and expecting. The problem is though, that when this movie's over, you realize that you're just disappointed. This movie was not anything that you were expecting it to be. The promise and the hype were really deceiving, misleading. The hype is really, to be honest, the best things about the movie you've already seen in the trailers. And I think we've all expected that. The same thing would be with a book. I know that there's been books that people have told me, man, you have to read this book. It's a classic. It's a classic. It's a classic. Well, okay, well, I read the book, and there's been a couple times where I'm usually, yeah, they're right, it's an amazing book, but there are those times where I'm halfway through the book, and I'm like, oh, I really think I'm wasting my time to finish this book. It's the, I just don't see the hype. It's just not what I was expecting it to be. It's not what I was promised it would be. Well, I hope that John is not doing that here, because he is really building up a lot of hype and a lot of expectation or what we can call a narrative need, a need. We need to see this come to, we need to see what John is promising. We need to see him deliver before his work is done. We need to see this news that is greater than the creation of the world itself. And that's what John's saying. He's hyping us up saying that this story I'm, I'm about to tell you is greater than, is bigger than the creation story of Genesis. God creating the world out of nothing, ex nihilo, is great, but man, what I'm about to tell you is even bigger. Well, John, that's a heavy claim to make, and I really hope that you're not gonna disappoint me like that movie or like that book. Well, as we read through John, we see that John is not disappointing, that the expectation is actually uh, justified we see that this story that he's telling, this great news, is definitely the best news that can be told, the best news that can be heard. As we move through John, we see that he is telling his story as this, he's, he structures it, he transitions basically his gospel into seven sections. These are all different days of the week, right? So we, he, he, he has this kind of poetic structure to how he tells the story of Jesus. He structures his narrative to make this point that Jesus is the means through which a new creation has come. He is a new Adam. There is a new world. He is cultivating. All these things are happening. And then we see 
John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week. Well, let's read the text. Now on the first day of the week, and again, I'm in John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to, early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entering the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now, if we see in John chapter 20, verse one, that this is now, first of all, I want to say that this is a very detailed, dramatic uh, account of resurrection. It's amazing. Um, there's a lot here that you will be blessed by if you just spend uh, a few days and more than that, just reading and reading and reading this text, you will find a lot, of, a lot of things there. But in John chapter 20, again, we have this phrase now on the first day of the week. John is not setting merely a setting marker here. He's not just wanting us to know historically what day it was, just so we know what day it was. If we grant that he is telling this greatest story, this creation story, a creation story that is greater than the creation story of Genesis. The best news that in the history of the world, basically, that Jesus is cultivating and be the means through which a new world, a new creation is coming. John 19. If John chapter 20 says, begins that this is the first day of a new week, what day is the day before that? Well, it's the Sabbath. So in John chapter 19, we have the Sabbath, and what is, what, what is Jesus doing on the Sabbath? And just to cut to the chase, Jesus is dead on the Sabbath. His body is in the tomb on the Sabbath. What about the first week back in Genesis? What happens? Why is the Sabbath so special? Why is the Sabbath holy? Why is there a command in the Ten Commandments, in the Decalogue, the Law of Moses, to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? 
Because on the seventh day, after creating this world, after creating man in his image and breathing his ruach, his breath, his spirit into them and giving them life and giving them covenant, we see that on the Sabbath day, God rests. The Sabbath day, God rests. And then we have John 19, where the body of Jesus is laying in a tomb. We have Jesus at rest on the Sabbath. I think that's very powerful and I think it's very important because now we come to John chapter 20, now on the first day of the week, resurrection. On the first day of the week, we have a completely new world. There's a completely new thing going on and not new in terms of out of, uh, completely off the charts, but it's definitely new in terms of we've never seen it before. Yes, the prophets have prophesied about it. Yes, God promised through the Psalms. Yes, God's covenant demands and his justice demands resurrection, all these things. But man, what a brilliant display of power and justice in the resurrection of Christ. So on the Sabbath in John 19, we have the world as it is. The world, a world that probably is very boastful and happy. A world that really believes that it's one. And Paul says this in Colossians, that the world thought that they humiliated and defeated Christ. But actually, in the act of their murdering him, of their humiliating him on the cross, he actually made a display and spectacle of them defeating them. See, resurrection is victory. Resurrection is justice. See, in the old world where sin reigned, and Paul says this again, back to Romans 5, that sin reigned through death. And this reign through death means that sin was marring God's image. Who is God's image? What is God's image? Well, it's humanity. And so the death of humanity, the abuse of humanity, the injustice of humanity, all these things are nothing but continued abuse after abuse after abuse, insult after insult after insult against who? Against the one whose image we bear. And in order for God to be just, in order for God to be king, he must do what a king must do, and that is to restore order to his kingdom. He must bring justice to all who abuse and mar and vandalize his image. And that's a very powerful, I think, aspect of resurrection. Resurrection is true because it's the way through which justice has been restored to the world. It's the way through which death and sin have been held accountable and destroyed. And Paul says as much in Romans 1. In Romans 1, we see that because of his resurrection from the grave, his resurrection from death, he is now called the Son of God. Son of God in the Roman sense in a lot of ways because Paul is, he begins his Roman epistle critiquing the empire and saying there is only one Lord of the nations. There is only one Lord of all. There is only one Son of God, and it's not the Caesar with his face and Son of God on the coin in your pocket. It is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah, and if he is the true Jesus and Messiah, then that means he is the Lord of all the nations. And speaking of his Lord of all the nations, Paul also in Romans says, because he has defeated death, that means that he has defeated all powers and authorities. And all that is left and what is now remaining is a great commission to go forth and make disciples of the nations, or as Paul says in Romans 1, the obedience of the nations. 
John chapter 20 also mentions this idea of the reign of Christ. See, his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus means that now Jesus is king. And here's a little bit of details of how that works out. Notice what he says to Mary here. Back to John chapter 20, and we read this, but in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to the Father, but I go to my brethren, but I'm sorry, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and my God and your God. Ascension. See, the ascension of Jesus means he is ascending to heaven. He is ascending to the right hand of the Father. He is ascending for the purpose of coronation. He ascends to heaven to be crowned king. He, he leaves the earth after his victory. And this is Jewish, this is Jewish to the core. Listen, there are, there are things that a Jewish Messiah had to have checked off a list just for the sake of simplicity. There are things, there are characteristics, there are works, there are things about you that you had to do, that you had to fit in order to be the Messiah according to scripture and rabbinic tradition. And one of those, in order for you to be king of Israel, first, you had to earn your kingship. You had to earn your reign by defeating God's enemies, by leading the people of God in a, decis a, a decisive victory against the enemies of God. And Paul knows this, and he says this as much in Romans 1 and definitely in Colossians when he says that this is the victory of Christ, having taken the sin, the requirements, and nailing to them to the cross, he made a spectacle of them. They thought they humiliated him. They thought they defeated him. But really, his death on a cross was their defeat. Oh, the wisdom and power of God. There is no empire, there is no nation, there is no power on this world, not even death itself, that can stop the power of God. And what is the power of God? Well, Paul, it says in Romans 1 again, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the gospel is the power of God at work in the world. That the gospel is the display, the revealing of God's righteousness, of his justice in the world. John chapter 20 says that. See, it, we're in a new week now. A new week, a new creation. Remember when John hyped us up about this story that was so great, greater than the Genesis story of creation? This news that was greater than even the sovereign Lord of all things out of nothing creating the world and the cosmos? Well, John has delivered. Indeed, the hype was true and real. He does not lie when he says that the news he brings us is the greatest news of anything ever told, of anything ever done in history. The victory of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Son of God, the ascension of the resurrected Messiah to the throne as the reign, as the ruler, as the king of all nations. And we see this in John 20. This is a new week, beloved. You live in a new week now. You live in the new world. The world that was reigned, that where death was reigning through sin, according to Romans 5 and 6, is no longer. 
You've been transported. You've been changed. You've been moved to the kingdom of faith in Christ, the kingdom of righteousness, where the Messiah is reigning and ruling. And this is what resurrection is. Resurrection is the kingdom of God. Resurrection is your hope. There's, you have resurrection as well. You serve a resurrected king, and some point in the very near future, all of us will be resurrected as well. And even uh, be between that time, between the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the last day, we have this time we're in now when we can see the power and righteousness of God displayed in the world through the pronouncement, through the heralding, through the demonstrating of the gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God has come in Christ. We need this in our pulpits. We need this on our streets. We need this news in our families. We need this news in this world. This nation is in decline. It needs the gospel. It needs to understand that the king of kings is the only one. It can only be the one who's resurrected. It can only be the one who's defeated death. Christ alone is king. He's the only one that fits the requirements. He's the only one with the power to do so. He's the only one whom God has instilled in his holy mountain in Zion. We are living in a new week, a new world because of the resurrection of Christ. Happy Easter, everyone. I hope that you're encouraged as you continue throughout your day living. And one more thing. Whatever you're going through now, whether it's all of us are experiencing this great tyranny in America and this great thing, but man, also know that God cares for you. This is why Peter says we can cast our cares on him. So broken relationships, maybe problems with a, with a marriage or a rebellious child, maybe there's financial struggle and stress like so many of us here in America, our health is not good. We've been, we've been given bad news by doctors or we're just not feeling up to par. We're depressed. We're insecure. We're fearful. All of these things go to your king. Call out to him. Pray to be filled with his spirit. Learn his word. Go to your church, to your elders, to your deacons, to your leaders and teachers and tell them, listen, I am dealing with this and that be prayed for, have hands laid upon you. Just obey the scriptures. I'm not saying that everything will be better. Well, I am saying that ultimately. But what I mean is the, the gospel is not a magic book. It's not a magic wand. But understand God's purpose for your trials and your struggles. Understand that Christ himself was crucified and died and bloody on a cross. For what? For glory? For resurrection? For a new world? Find hope in the resurrected Messiah. Also, if there's anything that we can do, if we can pray for you at that post mill, um, we, we, we definitely are down to pray for you. And we also encourage you to please be involved in a local church. Uh, there is so much, there is a lot of power and strength and hope. And there's just a whole life waiting for you uh, with the community of God. This is John with that postmill.com and that postmill podcast. Grace and peace to you.